Welcome to Digital Learning, hosted by the Wake County Public School System. You can follow us on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, and Google. To access our show notes, visit our website at dlc.wcpss.net. There, you'll find your local area digital learning coordinators, whom you can reach out and contact. You'll find our monthly newsletter, our podcast episodes, and other valuable resources. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Greetings, my name is Chris Zirkel. I'm a digital learning coordinator for the Southern and Southeastern areas. And my name is Katie Haywood, and I am also a digital learning coordinator, and I serve the Western areas. Uh, In this special crossover episode today, we are diving into assessment and looking at how we can design and use digital rubrics to offer some student choice. The Data Research and Accountability Podcast, Data Lit, just completed a series on methods of assessment, and their episode this week focuses on performance assessment. Spencer, Melissa, and Serena emphasize that with this type of assessment, you need to focus on the big ideas of the standards. Essentially, what you want students to know and can they show you how they know it. As Serena says, you put the measuring stick to the student's application, what they've created. But many teachers struggle with what choice looks like in practice because they can get overwhelmed with thinking about the logistics of evaluating or grading. So we followed up with Spencer, Melissa, and Serena from the Data Research and Accountability Department for more in-depth on what giving choice to students can look like in practice. So hello, Melissa, Serena, and Spencer. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. Hi. Hello. So in your episode on performance assessments, you talked about how this method of assessment can offer students more choice. What types of choice can teachers offer students in a performance assessment? I think choice is kind of embedded in the DNA of performance assessments themselves. And we we can see this just by looking at the definitions. The definition we prefer comes from the um, Center for Collaborative Education. And that's that performance assessments are multi-step assignments with clear criteria, expectations, and processes that measure how well a student transfers knowledge and applies complex skills to create or refine an original product. And I think that focus on transference and application and creation, rather than just like recall, um, really embodies the choice. You know, there's only really one way to recall, but there's countless ways to transfer something from some one place to another, countless ways to apply what you learn to create something. So I think that's really key to the choice embedded in performance assessments. So with performance assessment, um, we're looking at more the authentic application of learning, right? And so we're looking at exposing students to authentic scenarios, um, and they're using the content that they have learned to show you something real. Um, So you're thinking more so, for example, if you have taught your students, um, you know, different shapes, for example, now you want to see that your students know how to use shapes or identify shapes. The application of it could be that they're building something and you're telling them that you want um, a particular shape or more than one type to be used. So that performance assessment we're looking at they know the content, they know what shapes are, they know that there are different types of shapes, but now you want to see how they can use it in a real scenario to build something. So the only thing I would um, cautious us, caution us to remember is that the choice of itself, so whatever you choose to offer the kids, make sure that that doesn't get in the way of what they're learning. So for example, if you want them to use a flip grid, if you want them to use Seesaw, you want to make sure that the, the, 
choice that you've given them, like using Seesaw or a Flipgrid or building a diorama, like they know how to do that. Because if that gets in the way, then you are you as a teacher will not be able to delineate. It was it the Seesaw, was it the choice, or was it the lack of content knowledge? Thank you for uh, joining us today. We appreciate it. We're definitely a fan of uh, students having uh, performance assessments and being able to have a choice. There's many teachers that do get overwhelmed with thinking about the logistics of this. And while a rubric is a great tool for evaluating performance assessments, how can a teacher design a rubric that allows for choice? Um, so I think the, the key for me is that rubrics should focus on the standards, not the product. Um, we're not really trying to measure a kid's ability to make a PSA or a diorama or something like that. We're trying to measure the standards. So the rubric should reflect that. So what are the specifics of the standards that they should be exhibiting is the question you should be asking, as opposed to what are the specifics of the exhibit itself? So the rubric, if it gets out of the way and doesn't specify all the ways in which a kid might be creating a product and is more agnostic about the product and just focuses on the standard, then I think that can kind of liberate the kids to show what they know with those standards in any number of ways. Then we'll let's talk about single point rubric. So hopefully that connects and flows. I think it should. Now, as you mentioned, um, teachers get caught up in the whole idea of how to design this. Um, I always like to rely on the team, understanding that there are other teachers on the grade level who have taught this particular standard or group of standard before. You can brainstorm with them some products or you know what kind of product can the student develop for this or what can the performance look like. Right, so by brainstorming within the team, and a matter of fact, not just the teachers, if the students understand what the content is about, you can ask ideas from them. What would be a good way to show um, that you know this? Students can come up with a lot of creative ideas. So I would suggest, you know, get your ideas flowing with your um, PLT and also ask the students about how best they think they could be able to show this particular product or performance for the standard that you're trying to get information on. And I think I'll build on Serena's suggestion about working with the students. So if you as a classroom teacher, um, you have your learning learning targets and you have that success criteria, it is really easy to start with your success criteria as what are the expectations for the performance assessment and the criteria for then your rubric. And so, um, one way to make it less overwhelming is, again, if you've already done the work for your building your success criteria, that is the same work that you would already have for your rubric. Another strategy that I know that I like to use is, again, starting with the single point uh, rubric. A lot of times we think that analytic rubrics, the kind of rubrics that we typically see that are sort of matrix looking, are the only types of rubrics, but you can do a single point rubric. So as a new teacher or a person that's new to rubrics, I would say start with a single point rubric, and there'll be a copy or an article at least to that in the show notes. But a single point rubric just allows you to kind of put what are the expectations, like what is, what is that um, A-level work look like, and then you have that listed out, and that makes it a lot easier for the students and for the teachers to get feedback on, and it's a lot simpler to start from. So now that we've heard a little bit about the content and design of what goes in the rubric, we turn to the digital learning coordinators, Barb Vinyl and Jenny Conrad, to talk about the technical side of how to use a rubric in a digital space. 
Barb, can you tell us a little bit about how rubrics work in Google Classroom? Sure, I'd be glad to. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate your inviting me. Um, and in Google Classroom, there are three options when you create a rubric from within an assignment. Uh, the first is you just build it from scratch. Uh, that's the first way. The second way is to reuse a rubric uh, from when you've already created. So uh, after that very first one, then you can just copy it over from another one. Uh, and the third way, and a little more complicated way, a little more involved way, is to import it from a Google Sheet or an Excel spreadsheet. Um, but it's important to know that you have to create your rubric in a particular format in Sheets in order for Google Classroom to read it. Uh, so to help you with that, um, Alice Keeler has a simple template for a four-point rubric, and that's at alicekeeler.com backslash gcrubric that will get you started. Um, so if you have rubrics already created, you can just modify them to fit into that template. You can find the link to that template in the show notes uh, for today as well. And just as a reminder, as uh, Melissa referenced earlier, uh, rubrics don't always have to be four points, but this one is set up um, as a four-point rubric, and that's just one way that you can do it. Uh, another thing is you could give feedback with scored or unscored rubrics. So if a rubric is scored, students see their scores when you return their assignments. But if it's unscored, you can just give any kind of feedback that you want to based on what you observed in that student's work. That works very well in a, in a performance assessment, particularly, that you may want to just comment back. You can also create up to 50 criteria per rubric and up to 10 performance levels per criterion. And, and that's way too much feedback, but it does exist that you can do that uh, just so that you know what the parameters are. Um, I would only assume you would use that amount of feedback um, or that amount of criteria if you were truly doing some humongous uh, project and you just needed a million pieces there. Uh, but, that's, but that's what Google Classroom offers. Um, be aware, too, that when you create your rubrics, they can only be added to an assignment um, when you uh, put them in Google Classroom. Uh, you can add a rubric to an existing assignment at any time. So it's not like you have to create it at the beginning like you have to do with a few other things in Google Classroom, but you can always go back and add one. Just use the edit feature on the assignment and go ahead and add it. You can um, also easily see a rubric on the right-hand side of the assignment, uh, and your students are going to see that immediately underneath their assignment. So there's no question as to whether there's one attached or not. Then when it's time to grade this, you're going to go to your Classwork tab, you're going to click on the assignment you want to grade, and then you'll click View Assignment. And then that from there, you'll choose the student's file. In the right column, you're going to click on Grading. I like this method because you can just click on the rating right in the rubric, and it scores the assignment. Now, that might seem like that's a silly thing, but I love just being able to click on it and it grades it if you've done it in a point um, method. So if you're actually using points, then um, it makes it a lot easier. You can override that. So if you're doing it on a 100-point scale and you um, say one is 80 and one is 85, but you want to give the student an 82 for whatever reason, you can override whatever you put in there. It's super easy. Um, and those are just uh, sort of the nuts and bolts of how to do it. And I know I spoke quickly, and there's a lot there, but 
Um, the nice thing is, is you can come back and listen to this podcast again. So Barb, I have a question for you. Sure. You said that you can create a rubric from scratch, use one you previously made, or import from Sheets. When you're creating from scratch, can you create in a Word document or are you creating it in Sheets? Um, you can create it uh, from scratch right in Google Classroom. So you literally click on the Create Rubric button and you can formulate it right there. So because it's a graphical interface, it's really easy to do it right from within the assignment itself. And actually, I find that, that I prefer to do it that way. Um, but if you already have some created in Sheets or Excel, um, then you can certainly bring it in that way. Uh, if you've created it in a doc, um, then you would just copy paste it into uh, that new rubric that you've created. So Jenny, what does this look like when you're using Canvas? So in Canvas, on the left-hand side, there's a, a tab that's built for rubrics. And so you can click on the Rubrics tab in Canvas. And then at the top of the page, you have the option to add a rubric. And so rubrics remain in the courses in Canvas. Um, so you can build out rubrics that you can use again and again um, throughout your courses in Canvas on different types of assignments. Um, and you can pull the same rubric in multiple times if you want, or you can create multiple rubrics with different titles just built into Canvas. It's a, it's a really nice feature. Um, it comes, it's a little, when you look at it to begin with, it starts with five points and zero points. So you have to figure out how you want to adjust your points. Um, but one thing I like about Canvas is that you can pull in what are called outcomes. And outcomes to us in our language are standards. So these outcomes can already live in your courses, and you can pull the outcomes into the rubric in Canvas um, pretty easily with a couple clicks instead of having to relook for the outcome or the standard. Um, and it's pretty seamless to keep those in your course and keep using them with multiple rubrics. That's really great. It's nice that they're so flexible and there's a lot of uh, streamlined efficiency there. Uh, are we able to link some tutorials and some documents on the specific how-tos in our show notes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Canvas keeps all of their materials updated, so I will link a video and some help documents of how to create and use rubrics in Canvas. So creating rubrics might seem really time-consuming. How can a teacher make this process easier or more efficient? Yep. And I agree with what Barb said about it becoming part of your workflow. And I also just want to, you know, highlight again, bringing those outcomes into your course to begin with, make it so easy for you just to keep using those standards as your goal. So you're keeping your assignments very standard focused, bringing them into your rubrics, and then, you know, reusing rubrics as you need. You don't have to keep recreating the wheel. It's already done for you once you create it once. So maybe you have a generic type of rubric for a certain assignment. Um, you could reuse that as much as you need in order to, you know, focus on the standards. So creating rubrics might seem really time-consuming to a lot of people. So how can a teacher make this process easier or more efficient and protect that valuable time? Well, in reality, you may feel as if you don't have time to do this. That's the truth. Um, but I truly believe that once you start building your rubrics, 
you'll find this just becomes part of your workflow. Um, and we know from uh, what our, the other folks uh, commented on, Melissa particularly said, you know, it, it need, there needs to be a target. So generating your rubrics um, in whatever way you generate them for that assignment, for that assessment, uh, then just pulling them in just becomes, it, it makes it very easy to start duplicating what you've already done. Um, and again, you can generate your rubric using that Google Sheets template from Alice Keeler that I mentioned, um, or you can just create your first rubric from within Google Classroom and then just reuse that rubric and adjust it based on what the next set of criterion are. So uh, a lot of times rubrics can tend to be very heavy with a lot of text. What can a teacher do to make their rubrics friendlier for students who struggle with reading or are, are pre-readers? Well, I love to add emojis, or as we call them, uh, image targets, and I'll put that in air quotes, image targets, um, into the level title part of the rubric in Google Classroom. So there's a particular piece of the rubric that you build in Google Classroom that's called level title. Um, and for littles or anyone that might struggle with reading, uh, the image can really, really help them. So I might use um, a super smiley face for the top level, and I might use a sort of a straight face for the middle level, and I might use a sad face for the bottom level. Um, and that might not be a number, that might just be the emoji. Um, I will tell you, um, I use the Emoji Keyboard One extension built into the Chrome browser. That works the best for me. Um, and, and unfortunately, I tried um, putting in Bitmojis, but that doesn't work. So you really do have to stick to the emoji type um, images. And um, when you put that in, you have to put a space after it or another character after it, and then press the save. It looks like it saves it, but you go back um, and you'll find it's not there. And it'll be frustrating to you because you think, oh, I just put all these in and now they're gone. So that's the little tip there is to just put that little extra space or another character and then it'll save it. Thanks for listening. For show notes and resources, visit dlc.wcpss.net. You can listen to our podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts.